Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix. So, like, one of the things I was thinking about today was, uh, you know, just how every specialty has, like, their bread and butter, you know? So, for you, as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, what's, like, your number one thing that you see? What's, like, your top three, even? Yeah. Unfortunately, when you asked that, I thought of just general prevalence of psychiatric conditions and, and anxiety is number one. For children and adolescents specifically or everyone? For anybody, if you just walk out on the street and just surveyed people, you'd find anxiety would be the most common. I got that. The problem, well, see, that's just it, right? Because kind of doesn't everybody. Yeah. And the problem with that, or at least my experience has been psychiatrists and, and more so probably primary care docs and pediatricians because, you know, the numbers like around 70% of all psychiatric medications are prescribed by a primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. So like your regular doctor, they're the ones starting most of the meds, most of the psych, what people consider psych meds, which I've always found fascinating. Um, And most of the time they don't dabble very far because they're they're uncomfortable. So, you know, they'll, they'll start Prozac, but they won't go any further than, you know, starting it and the second like an increased dose is needed they're like oh no you got to go see psych but for kids i think psychiatrists even are way more comfortable or maybe that's the wrong wording maybe more inclined to diagnose a kid with adhd than they are depression or anxiety Mm. and i think part of the reason is adhd feels like a more kid-friendly or kid-appropriate diagnosis right than depression or anxiety most adults, when they think of depression or anxiety, if you tell a, an adult, you know, I think your kid suffers from anxiety and their kid's like seven, inevitably, and I always say it, I try to beat them to the punch. When I see the look on the parent's face, I'll say like, and I know what you're thinking. What the hell do they have to be anxious about? They're not married and they don't have a mortgage. <laughs> and, and the parents always laugh like, yeah, what the hell's he got to be anxious about? He just needs to clean his goddamn room, you know? Yeah. And, but when you explain it to him, I always say, like, for parents, it's important to understand that you don't get to choose what somebody's anxious about, Mm. right? So if a kid's anxious about how they look when they're holding their lunch tray, walking through the cafeteria and trying to find a seat, then that's what they're anxious about. You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick if it's relevant or not or if it's dumb. If they have this crazy phobia where all of a sudden now they're not eating lunch, because they have like this social anxiety and it starts to affect everything because then they won't eat. Okay. So they don't eat. Well, they have a hard time focusing at school later in the day. So they start to do bad in their math class, which is in their last period. And they get home and they're cranky because they haven't eaten. They had breakfast maybe, right? But because they're always late and they're running late, they don't have lunch and then they have to wait to get home to have dinner. So they're grumpy. And their grades are bad. And all of a sudden, the parents are like worried about them. Like, what the hell's going on, right? And no one tracks it back to the fact that they're skipping lunch because they're super socially anxious and they're agoraphobic or whatever the case is. Now, does that person need medication? That's a whole different conversation, but it's just you miss it because then they tell you that, well, what, what, how are things going at home? Fine. How are things in school? Mm, my grades are slipping. Well, what's going on with that? I don't know. I just, I don't understand what the teacher's talking about. I get lost or I daydream. 
and then boom, ADHD. And you have to try to explain to people is that, hey man, part of the constellation of anxiety and depression is difficulty concentrating, right? Because if you're anxious about other stuff, the best way I can explain it to people is I say, Reesh, if I asked you to do your taxes while you were being chased by a lion, do you think you might make some mistakes? If I wasn't being chased by a lion, fuck. Right, 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 right. So if you were being chased by a lion, yeah, you're probably going to make some mistakes. Now, if you were being chased by a lion and I tried to have a conversation with you, do you think there'd be a good chance that after that conversation, I'd tell people, man, Reesh is just kind of aloof. He's not really paying attention. Like he's just kind of everywhere. It's like, yeah, because he's being chased by a fucking lion, right? He's looking around and just not present. And if you kind of transpose that as anxiety, or it feels like you're being chased by a lion, but there's no lion, right? Then it's going to start to permeate into other things. So they end up getting a stimulant. And giving somebody a stimulant who has anxiety is like if I had a panic attack and you came up to me and you're like, hey, hey, just chill out, man. Here, have a Red Bull. Yeah. No, it's just with that lion analogy, it makes me think of like instead of killing the lion or trapping the lion or taking the lion out of the equation, you're giving you like better running shoes or like, right. you know, giving you like a bicycle. Yeah, exactly. Like to, exactly. <laughs> like here's a moped. You're still being chased. Yeah. You're still being chased by the lion. Right. It's trying to get away faster. Right. And now with going faster comes more angst. Yeah. Right. Because now you can run faster. There's, there's new obstacles. There's new threats. There's new things you have to worry about. So it heightens everything. And it's not to say you can't have both. You can have anxiety and ADHD for sure. But my point being that I think people tend to reach for the stimulants prematurely. And part of the problem with that is, is that stimulants work quick, right? They work right away. So, you know, in this sort of microwave generation, want it now, you know, 5G, LTE, everything, people want results now. Mm-hmm. And you'll know within 30 to 45 minutes if a stimulant is going to help. And people opt for that problem with that is that a stimulant works among other things on dopamine receptors and everybody tends to report doing a little better with a stimulant even people who don't have adhd and the problem with that is is they've studied it and people who don't have adhd who take a stimulant and do like time tasks they report that they were more focused and alert but then when you look at the results on and off stimulants, they, they performed worse or the same. Mm. But the perceived feeling with the extra dopamine feels like you're being more productive. So then they don't want to get off of it. Because why would you? You feel like you're doing better. So then you create this weird loop where like now you're using it and it's not even really benefiting you except for the subjective feeling of you saying you feel like you're better focusing and concentrating, but everybody around you like, nah, he's a fucking mess, you know? Yeah. You know, so that's hard, man. That's hard because, um, you know, they work quickly and they have that, that feeling. And, uh, then what ends up happening is, you know, they'll be on a stimulant for a while. Then before you know it, they're maxed out on the stimulant and they're still having problems in school. And then they eventually come around to me for whatever reason. And, I end up kicking over these other rocks and start looking under them. And uh, before you know it, it's like, oh, man, have you ever thought about maybe you have a hard time with anxiety? And, man, I'd say, and I'm just pulling this number out of my ass, but 75% of the time they're like, yeah, for sure. 
And it's like, okay, well, let's explore that. And now you're stuck because you got a, you know, 14 year old kid that you're, you're now contemplating having them on two prescription medications. And because of this push for academic high performance, nobody wants to take the risk of coming off of a stimulant because people view stimulants as academic performance enhancers. And they can be for some people. But if you don't have a deficit, then you're getting a high off of it. Right? You're not getting anything else. If the goal is just to stay awake, okay. Yeah, it's a stimulant. It's going to do that. But in terms of actually improving academic performance, it's just not the case. If it were, if they made you smarter, everybody would take them and be smarter. You know, And so it, it just creates this weird sort of environment where I think a lot of times, I, I think it's overlooked the, the anxiety and depression side of things because it masquerades by following suit with, with difficulty focusing and concentrating. So, you know, as far as bread and butter, anxiety is, is what I wanted to say, but honestly, man, it's not even bread or butter. It's neither one. It's fucking behavioral issues. Do you know how many times a day I hear here? I'm going to read here. I'm going to read one of these. All right. This is one of the nurses checking. Okay. To me. All right, this is a 12-year-old girl, um, and this is the complaint. Defiant, will not do schoolwork, sleeps during class, and does not apply herself. Why the fuck are you seeing me? Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't make your kid do work, right? It's, it's, so you get these behavioral issues, or he doesn't listen to me, or uh, whenever I tell him to do something, he throws a tantrum. And it's like, oh, fuck, man you're looking for chemical parenting and that's what I see a lot. And I, I, don't, I haven't sat and written it down. I don't know if those are just viscerally what I hate and I remember, but I see that a lot. I see that a lot. Well, the problem with that is irritability is part of the constellation for some of these things, right? So if you're irritable, there could be some mood stuff in there. And I think the problem is if you have a 15 minute visit, you can make this look like anything to the unskilled clinician. And they end up on a medication. And a lot of times the parents want that because they don't want to parent or they don't know how. And that shit takes work. Making a person make, it takes work. And they'll tell you they try, but I can see it in an interaction in five minutes with the patient and, and the parent that there's poor communication on both sides. That's pretty much why I don't eat lunch. Because I end up working through my fucking lunch talking to these people. And I tell them all the time, you know, I'll be 30 minutes into a 15-minute appointment. And people are knocking on my door saying, hey, you got people out here waiting. And I tell patients every day, man, literally every day. I say, because of you, I'm not going to eat lunch today. And I'm not blaming you. But what I'm telling you is this conversation that we're having is not part of my job. And that hurts to say because it's not part of my job. These are med checks. These aren't therapy appointments. They have therapists and they all, you know, all have something different to say about them. But unfortunately, good majority of them say they don't get anything out of therapy. And, you know, it's not a knock on the therapist. I know some of them personally and they're good people. I just don't think the packaging is right. And I don't think the expectations are appropriate. And it's frustrating, and especially when, in, you know, insurance will only pay for one therapy session a month. That's just not conducive to progress. It's going to take more than that. And I end up spending my time talking to these people just in like, you know, just fucking hood speak. Just like, yo, man, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't talk to your mom like that. Would you let, how would you feel? I just told the kid this today. I said, how would you feel if I was at Walmart 
and I started yelling at your mom the way your mom just told me you yell at her at home. Would you be okay with it? Like, honestly, would you be okay with me talking to your mom that way? It's like, no. Like, all right, well, why the fuck are you doing it? Like, you know it's not okay, but here you are doing it. Like, you literally would want to fight me if I talked to your mom that way. So that's indicative of there's other problems here, and that's okay. Like, problems are all right, man, but you got to fix this because, you know, I told this last kid, look, man, part of your job is to make yourself the kind of person that people want to have around. Like, that's part of our job as a human being. Be the kind of person that I want to invite over for a barbecue. Based on the description of what your mom said, if I saw you, if I was there at your house at that moment, would I be thinking, hey, that's a kid I want to invite over to the house to hang out with my kid? No, of course not. So you're not doing a good job on that front. And that's important to know. That's important to know that part of your job is to turn yourself into a person that people like having around. In, in, in that same sort of spirit of being that kind of person is if I talk to my mother this way, or I talk to my friends this way, or if I treat people this way, subconsciously, I start to believe it's okay to act that way. And if I do believe that, I also will start to believe that it's okay for people to treat me that way. So if I'm disrespectful to my mom, and then somebody at some point in my life is disrespectful to me, there's a part of me that's going to think, well, I mean, it's all right, because I mean, I do it. So it's okay to treat other people that way, because I do it. And I don't think I'm a bad person. And when you do that, you start to allow people in your life that shouldn't be there. And that's a dangerous thing. And that's a very, very difficult concept to come up with on your own when you're 15. And trying to get kids to understand that that's the beauty of being young is that when the brain's done developing, the connections you use the most are the ones that get the strongest. If you practice being a shitty person, that connection's going to get real strong. Your brain thinks, hey, he uses this a lot, so this is probably important, so we should probably keep that. And all the other things you don't work on, being patient, being loving, being understanding, if you don't work on those things, those connections don't grow strong. And by the time you're 25 and those, all that neuronal pruning and all that shit is happening in your brain and you're left with the brain that you have, well, guess what? You're left with a shitty brain with poor coping skills at 25. Doesn't mean you can't change that stuff, but it just means it's going to be a lot fucking harder. The old adage, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's what that means. That is... The brilliance of that little proverb is that it spoke to neuronal pruning of the brain. It's just going to be fucking harder when you're older. So work on it now. It's okay to fuck up. You're supposed to fuck up. You're going to fuck up. And, you know, the homework I give kids, a lot of times, you know, I don't even change the meds. because I don't even know if they should be on them, but they've been on them forever. And it's the first time I'm meeting them and I got 15 fucking minutes with them. And, you know, the homework I give them is, look, man, it's okay to fuck up. But where you need to start is you need to go to your room after you fuck up and just look at yourself. Just stare in the mirror. But honestly do it because if, I don't know if you've ever done it. I do it every once in a while. Well, probably a couple times a week actually where I just stare at myself in the mirror. And, you know, I, I, I try to appreciate a lot of things like I'm, I'm aging. I'm getting old. I just look at myself like, wow, I look like shit. <laughs> you know? And, you know, sometimes that is the feeling. Sometimes the feeling's oddly enough not that. The feeling's like, oh, I'm, I'm looking pretty good. I'm holding up. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Yeah. Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme, yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you really honestly look at yourself, it's weird. It's a weird experience. Because if you do it right, man, you question life. You're like, what am I? What is this fucking form I'm looking at? What's the point? So much bullshit I worry about and say and do. And here I am standing in my fucking bathroom staring at myself like a moron. 
Like, what the, what am I? These are literally, I mean, this is a thought I had a couple of days ago. Like I was looking at my eyes and I was just like, how weird it was that like I'm looking at myself. And when I tell kids to do that, I tell them to look at themselves. And if you mess up, fess up. Just look at yourself and own it. And just say to yourself, damn, I just fucked up. I fuck. I hate when I do that. I hate when I say that. I hate when I act that way. But just look at yourself and just don't fucking try to fix it. Don't try to change it. Don't do shit. Just acknowledge it. Acknowledge your role in the fuck up. That's it. Just look at yourself. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Nothing. Just look at yourself. And if it feels weird, you're doing it right. It's supposed to feel weird. It's supposed to feel a little shitty too. But just be like, fuck, man. Why do I cry? Or why do I yell? Or what? Fuck, fuck, fuck. Just look at yourself. And that's it. Just leave it at that. And if you can do that enough, for some people it's a couple days, others weeks, others months, some probably years. But if you can take ownership of that fuck up and just accept your role in the fuck up, so much of human nature is to attack. And it's just a cheap trick because the goal is efficiency, not morality. And the goal is to do the least amount of work and get the biggest payout, right? You want to hunt the biggest animal with the least risk, get the most meal, get the most food. You want to get the best rest you can at little cost. Everything, it's about efficiency, just for, the, for human preservation. But interaction with other people is more complex than that. And when you try to blame other people, what you're doing is, if you can convince other people that it's their fault, that the whole world is a problem, it's not you, what you're doing is you're cheating yourself because if it works, then you get away without having to fix your own bullshit. But some people are wrong. Sometimes you're wronged. It happens. Some people do you wrong. And, you know, I'll make a kid point at me. I'll say, do me a favor, point at me. And they'll be like, what? Fucking point at me. Point with your finger. Point at me. And it's that old trick, right? When they're pointing at you, if you use your index finger and you ask them, how many fingers are pointing at me? And they'll say one. And I'll say, no, there's actually two. If you count your thumb, there's two fingers pointing at me. So. Some of this is my fault because you're pointing at me and there's two fingers. So I'm not completely free of guilt. I did something wrong too. That's why you're pointing at me. But the other three fingers are pointing at you. Mm. So it's more your fault. And that's what you should always focus on. Before you go around trying to figure out what the fuck they did wrong, man up. Take ownership of what you did wrong. You may not have started it or you may have started it. You're not going to get anywhere in terms of making yourself better by worrying about what they did. And that's the exercise of looking at yourself in the mirror. Just fucking stare at yourself, man, and own your fuck up. Own it. Fucking own it. And it feels gross and it's horrible because we don't like that. But if you don't start there, you spend your entire fucking life pointing. And if you can do that productively, a couple days, a couple weeks, then the next step is simple. You fuck up, go to your room, go to the bathroom, look at yourself, fucking own it. And you walk back up to that person and you say, I don't like when I do that. I don't like when I talk to you like that. I shouldn't talk to you like that. I know it's wrong. I hate when I do it. I'm working on it. And I'm sorry. And that's it. And for kids and their parents, you know, I'll tell them right in front of their parents. And when you, if you do do that, you go up to your mom and you say, Mom, I shouldn't talk to you like that. I hate when I do that. I'm mad about some stuff and I think I'm right about some other stuff. But at the end of the day, I shouldn't do that. I know better. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. I said, your mom's going to put some extra on it. She's going to be like, yeah, I know, motherfucker. You shouldn't talk. You know, like they're going to put some extra on it. But, but your job, that's not your job. 
Because that's part of you owning it, accepting that you're going to have to deal with some shit because you fucked up. Just eat it. Just got to deal with it. Okay. All right. I just wanted you to know. I know where I'm messing up. Because there's this weird thing where when people do that around you, the visceral response is to say, no, nah, no, nah, man, I, I fucked up too. I could do better too. If you do it enough, that's what people will start doing. If they're worth their, their weight in salt, they'll start to do it because they'll see that in you like, fuck, man, this kid's doing it. <sighs> He's owning up to it. I need to own up to it too. And that'll happen after a while, but you can't put any stock in that because that's not the goal. And I tell people all the time, they'll, they'll be like, oh, this, that, and this person. I'll tell them right there in front of their parent. Look, I, I don't mean to be mean, but I don't care about your mom or your dad. That they're not my concern right now. You're my concern. So I don't care what they're doing. I'm not saying they're not good people. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm saying I don't care about them. And, you know, part of that is letting them know that, look, man, if you do this enough, a weird thing's going to happen. Because the whole point of that exercise, the way I came up with it, or at least my reasoning behind it, is that part of going up to somebody and telling them something the next phase in this, if a kid gets this far, is I tell them, when you don't want to do something, you have to say it. So if you're playing PlayStation and your mom barges in your room and says, motherfucker, I told you to take the trash out. Take it out now. The kid's thought is always like, what the fuck is the big deal? Why right now? The trash isn't going anywhere. What, let me finish this level. I'll do it right now. Hold on. And instead of that, if you pause the game and you turn to your parent, and you said, Ma, I heard you, and I just want you to know, I don't want to take the trash out right now. I'm going to do it, but I just want you to know I'd rather not, but I'm going to do it. If you did just that, it accomplishes a couple things that I think people neglect. And one is, it lets your mom know that you heard her. Because right? my whole fucking life, all I heard was, I'm talking to you. Are you fucking listening? Right? Like, do you hear me? Like, over and over and over. I'm still hearing that. <laughs> right, 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 right. So... What it does is it takes that away because you're telling them you heard them and you're repeating it back to them, right? So there's no guessing. You're acknowledging what they're saying. Two, you're saying what you feel. That's important because so much of this is this feeling of not being heard, of not mattering, of nobody caring. But if you say, I'd rather not right now, then you're telling them how you feel. And then last, you're complying. You tell them you're going to do it. Because if you do that enough, there's going to be the fucking day where your mom says to you, okay, all right, that's fine. You don't have to do it right now, but do it before bed. But that only happens once they can trust you. So that's a process. But if you start there, that's something. And the point of all of that is something that came to me after just fucking thinking about it for a long time. I spent most of my life in school thinking, who fucking cares? We're never going to use this. Like, I don't care how long the leg of that fucking triangle is. I don't care. And I never will. Oh, well, if you're an engineer, I'm not going to be an engineer. I don't care. What's the point? I'm not going to use this. And it's real simple. It's super simple. The whole point of all of it is understanding the basic rule of life. And it's fucking simple. And it's life is about understanding there's a ton of shit you don't want to do, but you have to do. That's it. It's really that simple. Because if you can apply that, and understand that that brain muscle, and I tell these kids all the time, you know, when you go to the gym, you're trying to get stronger. Every day at the gym, you don't lift less weight. You lift more. You make it harder. And you told me this when we were working out. We, we had did something, and we had ran out of plates. I think we were deadlifting or something. And then you were like, yeah, man, don't worry. The weights always win. 
there's, a, there's always more weight. And I remember getting so fucking discouraged. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, we just need more weight. God damn it. Like, there's no, you're done. You got stronger, you add more weight. And the concept being that you make shit hard. So if you approach everything in life as a brain muscle thing, and you think, oh man, instead of whenever somebody asks me to do something that I don't want to do, instead of getting mad or saying, fuck, I don't want to do that. Instead, if you thought of it as, oh shit, this is one of those things he was talking about. Here's something that I don't want to do, but I have to do if I want to get a good, good grade. So I got to make myself do it. Your job is not to fucking like it. That's stupid. Like geometry. Fuck off. I hated it. But that was my fallacy of, of thinking that it, I was supposed to like it or otherwise I wasn't going to do it. It was supposed to be fun. Who the fuck said it was supposed to be fun? Some things are fun. Most of them are not. But if you don't start harnessing that power of making yourself do something that you don't want to do, but you have to do, you're going to fucking lose, man. Because there's going to be stuff in life that you want, and it's going to require work that you don't want to do. And if you haven't trained that fucking muscle, somebody else has. And guess what? They're going to do that work. And they're going to get that thing that you wanted, but didn't want to do the work. Because in your mind, you lied to yourself that they liked it more than you, or they were better at it than you. Now, motherfucker, they trained that muscle. They understood that rule. And they saw it in all things. So when your parents tell you to do something, fucking do it. And why, you ask? Do it because you don't want to. That's why. I'm not a fucking maniac. When I wake up in the morning, do you think I wake up with a smile? Fuck no, I don't. I don't want to get up. But that's why I get up. Because I tell myself, fuck that. I'm not going to lose this early in the day. Get the fuck up. Get up. And people will say it all the time. Oh, how do you do so much? You're always doing something or you're always doing... Yeah, because I don't want to. It's exactly why I do it. Because there's going to be shit that I want. And I'm not going to want to do the work then either. But that brain muscle has to be ready to fucking go. And if you're smart, you apply that to all things. You apply that in football practice, basketball practice, in the classroom, at home, in relationships. You have to exercise that fucking muscle. And if a kid can understand that, and it's crazy because I think these are very basic concepts. But when I tell kids these things, they look at me like they want to run through a fucking brick wall. Like they're fucking, yeah, let's fucking do it. All right, yeah, all right, I could do this shit. And it's just weird to me because when was I supposed to have that conversation in a 15-minute visit? When was that supposed to happen? That's why you got to get these kids to listen to this podcast, man. You know. That's how you scale the unscalable. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the point of all of it, right? From our standpoint was just that, right? Was to get the message out that we just felt wasn't being put out there by the people who do what we do. And I don't think it's always from a bad place. I don't think it's not being done because people are bad people. I just think most people aren't willing to have to eat a fucking bag of peanuts and a piece of beef jerky in five minutes for lunch because they gave up their lunch to talk to a kid who's fucking up. And it's not why I do it. I don't do it for fucking accolades. I don't, no one gives a fuck. No one's throwing me a fucking parade, but I do it because I know it's not going to be done. And, and that bugs me because I don't know who's supposed to do it. The therapist, I don't know. Part of the problem is, you know, therapists don't get, they don't get paid well. So you're not going to attract necessarily, you know, the hardest working or the, or the brightest people. Are there hard working and bright people as, that work as therapists? Fuck yeah, there are. But we need more of them. And how do you attract them? Well, let's, let's be honest. You got to compensate them. And I, I think therapy kind of falls by the wayside and, and we become the de facto therapist. You become the de facto therapist. 
doctors become the de facto therapists. We're privileged enough to be in a position within society where we are respected by the very nature of our job. There are very few things that allow you that. Police officers, firemen, doctors, you know, and then it gets a little obscure after that, right? Like religious figures. Or just by the very position that you're in, you, you, you hold some sort of esteem, some power. You could be a piece of shit, but people walk into that relationship already assuming you in a favorable light most times. If, if we harness that, you know, the, there's a lot of literature that shows that getting somebody help with their alcoholism, and I think we talked about it with uh, Patrick from uh, We Live on a Planet podcast, that the most important thing a doctor can do in helping somebody get treatment for their alcoholism is to say to them, hey, man, I think you're an alcoholic. Like that is the single most powerful thing a physician can do, not prescribe anything, not do therapy. It's say to them, give them the diagnosis of an alcohol use disorder because it means something coming from you. And that's powerful. That's really, really powerful. And I think we become so jaded and sometimes cynical about what we do because of all the red tape that we lose sight of that. I don't even know if my patients believe me when I tell them, but I tell them, this is not part of my fucking job. I get paid to ask you, hey, are you taking your medicine? Yeah. Is it helping? Is it doing anything bad? Do you think we should change it? That's essentially what I'm paid for. And if I do that, then guess what? I'm probably not going to suffer from burnout because I can get through probably 30 patients in a day if I did just that. And the irony is, he would take some questions. I'd be doing my job correctly because I would document that stuff and I'd get paid appropriately. But I know you're going to be back next month with the same fucking problem. And I have an infinite combination of medications I could try to put you on. But, you know, it's not always pills, man. Sometimes it's skills. Most of the time it's both. Maybe I shouldn't tell them, but I do tell them, you know, I, I don't, this is not part of my fucking job, man. I'm not your therapist. I don't even work here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, they, you know, they'll all tell me the same thing. You know, they, most of them tell me the same thing. Like, oh, this is the first time parents want to, you know, since, since I'm finishing up my training in a couple, you know, in like about a, a month and change, I'm having to tell patients, hey, this is the last visit uh, that you and I are going to have. Because most of the time we do follow-ups like every two to three months. Unless I'm making med changes, I'll see them sooner. So I tell them just out of courtesy, you know, it, it was good working with you. I'll be handing off my, my roster to, you know, another fellow. So uh, you'll have a different doctor next time you come in. And I had to stop telling them that in the past couple of weeks because they say like, oh, well, can we come see you next month? And it's like, yeah, but why? Well, because we want to see you at least one time before you leave. And it's like, yeah, but you don't need to. I don't know, but we want to. I'm like, fuck. Well, God, man, I don't know how they're going to squeeze you in. You know, you don't need to come in in a month. No, no, but we, we want to. We're okay with it. And it's like, oh, man, let's thank you, but you don't have to. And they'll say the same thing. Like, you're the only doctor who talks to us. And that's not true, right? You know, all the doctors talk to them, but I, I get what they mean. And, you know, that's, that's frustrating. That's frustrating. And it, to, to be honest, man, it creates work for me. Like, I mean, I got to finish notes, you know, when you and I are done talking because I didn't do them in the office because I'm fucking babbling talking to them that I'm, I'm not able to get my notes in on time. The next patient shows up or there's people waiting. And this is the, the perpetual 
problem that I've created for, <laughs> for myself. Yeah, no, I know. That's like, it's it's so interesting. There's so many things that I wanted to, to say. I wanted you, you were just on a fucking roll. I wanted you to, wow, to just, just, to just go. I feel like, no, you know what, man? Like, the whole idea of like interrupting people and then like really exercising that listening muscle, which I'm sure you've, you know, like that's a huge part of your training. That's like your surgical training is to like, you know, yeah, listen. Sure it's draining but like to do it like really well and to be able to like have that emotional bandwidth like that's yeah i mean it's it's really hard to like truly listen to somebody without the intention of responding and just you know taking in what that person has to say and what i'm learning a lot like you know being married is like almost all the time you know, when your significant other wants to vent to you, you are not trying to fix this. Like nothing you can say will make this person better. Like the entire therapy is just having that person, you know, just get it all out on you and that's it. And like, that's the, that's the training. That's the way training and to be able to, but you know, to bring it back to this though. Yeah. I feel like, so many of the things that you said that I thought were gold may not have come out if I interrupted you. And uh, a lot of times on any of these interviews that we do too, when like I'm going back and I'm editing and I'm I'm just like, why the fuck did mm-hmm. you just interrupt that person there? Let them, you know, talk. They're most likely going to be, you know, getting to whatever it is that you have to say anyway. But the really best is some of the best like interviewers, um, you know, out there that are like famed interviewers, you know, they do very little talking. They ask like a very, you know, good question. Like that's, you know, part of that. That's those are like social scalpels, like to be, to be able to ask like a, a good question to really like, you know, dissect somebody's right. you know expertise or wisdom or personality or whatever it is. But then just, you know, sit back and, you know, for sure that whole idea of like efficiency that you mentioned, just being like emotionally Mm -hmm. efficient, like the whole, like, you know, blaming yourself, like it's just way more efficient and you, you wind up building a much better energy, like overall than, um, you know, when you, you know, blame the other people. I love that fucking point, point at me thing, man. I feel like you, you've definitely mentioned that before, but it really stuck with me a lot more today because yeah. I, I just think that that's a great reminder for all of us at any age like to sure. to really like flash that you know you know recognize when you're when you're doing it and then just like you said like it's gonna hurt like all these things that are good for you hurt like you know doing sit-ups Absolutely. hurt and then after a yeah. while it doesn't then you have to make it harder so that you get right. that hurt again you're supposed to hurt it's supposed to hurt right it's supposed to and it's gonna and you know i think the equivalent of Hurting is feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, when it comes to just an unemotional state. And it doesn't burn like a lactic acid buildup. It's a different kind of burn. And that burn is uncomfortable. And that uncomfortableness is self-doubt. And that self-doubt all comes from insecurity. Yeah. And being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's worse than, you know, having... Uh, you know, your, your muscles swell up with lactic acid. It's being fucking vulnerable, man. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the lactic acid buildup scare, right? You can't move. 
like that there's a, this almost paralyzing thing when you work yourself to to fatigue yeah where you've defeated yourself you've learned that you somebody could fucking rob you and kick you to the ground in that moment you're weak you're helpless right and when you do that emotionally it's a different kind of burn and nobody likes that nobody walks around if you had a little button in your pocket that you could click on and and just randomly feel complete body muscle fatigue for no reason you wouldn't push it yeah you'd be like why would i do that that sounds like a terrible idea right but emotionally you have the the ability to do that at the drop of a dime to just be vulnerable and no one's going to hit that button voluntarily for no reason but if you know that there's growth on the other side of it the same way you do like working to fatigue you'll you'll do it because there's a point to it yeah i mean everything you want is on the other side of that yeah that discomfort that uncomfortable feeling that you know because uh, on the other end of it it's you just being okay with who you really are and all the insecurities and everything um and just like owning it just like you're saying like you know accepting those things and you know realizing that okay yeah that hurt but it's not so bad on the other side of it and then like you know when you just keep putting in those reps keep putting in those reps you know, it just hurts a little bit less, a little bit less. And then that's when you have to switch up the workout to like right. get that same hurt and actually learn to like love that hurt. Like, you know, it's only the people that are, you know, like physically fit that are the ones that are like, oh, I just, it just hurts so good. You know, I love that, that right. feeling. And, uh, and then you wind up being almost like masochistic, like yeah. in, uh, in a way, but like that, kind of needs to be the mindset for any type of growth whether physical or mental it, it has to be it has to be because and, that, and that's where the whole very concept of things you don't want to do but have to do like your job isn't to like it get over that this idea that everything's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to like it and working out supposed to, no it's not if it is great but it's not supposed to be you know, embrace those times when they do come. And you do have those workouts where you're like, fuck yeah, I feel good. But you should be taking more pride in the workouts that you got through that you didn't want to do. Yeah, that's what like really being a professional is, right? right. Like showing up when you right. don't want to be there the most. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, dude, I tell my patients all the time. I, I, I'll look them dead in the face and I'll say, look, you seem like a cool person, but I do not want to be here talking to you right now. <laughs> and they always look at me like, what? And I'm like, I got other shit to do, man. I'm just a guy. I got to go grocery shopping. I got laundry to do. I got to get gas. I got shit to do, but I made an agreement to be here. You made an appointment. You expected somebody to be here. I would like a paycheck. Now, if you showed up for your appointment today and my nurse said to you, oh yeah, your doctor, he said he had to go grocery shopping. So, uh, I don't know, come back Thursday. You'd be like, what kind of fucking doctor is this? (laughs) Right. And, but I made an agreement. And I don't have to like it, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to show up, I'm going to make myself do it, and I'm going to do the best job I can while I'm here. And none of that involves me having to like shit. And that's a muscle I have to train. Trust me, I'm a human being. There's times where I'm standing in my office, I know the next patient's coming, and I'll have that feeling, I do not want to do this today. And I have to catch myself and say, well, that's why you're going to fucking do it. Yeah. And you have to see it in all things. And the second you do that, it becomes this weird fucking game. Like you were talking this, this sort of, you know, masochistic game where you, you, you 
you're looking for the pain. Yeah. But but here's the deal. The fucking pain is coming, whether you're ready for it or not. Yeah. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to bitch about it? You could. Absolutely. That's an option. You're not going to get anything out of it. The pain is coming. You will get steamrolled. Shit's going to happen. You will get fucked. It's coming. You're going to get the short end of the stick. It's going to happen. You, then you need to hijack that to your benefit and say, well, here comes the suck and embrace it and say, I may not be the best at this. I may not even be good at it, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to fucking do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because what's the point of it? The point is to make myself do something I don't want to do, but I have to. Uh, speaking of that, I really don't want to end this conversation right now, <laughs> but I have to. Um, yeah. But this was awesome, man. I I think there there's so many like you know little nuggets in here. Yeah, no, I agree. Good shit. All right, brother. All right. No doubt. Later. Medicine Remix fam, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Hopefully you found that episode valuable and or entertaining. And if you did please, please, please consider sharing the podcast and writing us a review on iTunes. It would mean the entire world to us and it would help us spread the word about Medicine Remixed tremendously. We love you. Stay tuned for some amazing interviews that we have on the chopping block. Lots of good shit coming from our studio to your ears on the brand new season of the one and only Medicine Remix.